Hello and welcome to Farmerama. In this month's episode, we head to Scotland to hear about a Beltane celebration for young people in rural areas. We speak to the organiser of the London-based Black Farmers Market, and we check in with another farmer benefiting from the Pasture for Life mentoring programme. At the end of April, Katie Revel travelled to Strath Farrar, west of Inverness, for an event called Beltane at the Sheeling Project. You might remember hearing about the Sheeling Project in our Landed series. It's an off-grid learning centre that gives people the chance to connect with the land and learn traditional skills, like caring for livestock or a range of crafts and even sustainable building techniques. The Beltane event was organised by Rosanna Crawford and Ben Murphy, who both work in sustainability and are directors of the Sheeling Project. They wanted to bring together young people working in land-based jobs for a weekend of conversation, debate, socialising and collaboration. The event was also a chance to discuss some of the barriers young people face to living and working in rural areas. Barriers like depopulation, isolation and a lack of employment opportunities. Beltane, by the way, is the Gallic May Day Festival. It's a chance for communities to come together to celebrate the start of summer and the emergence of new life. I'm Rosanna. I work as a researcher in sustainability. And yeah, I worked at the Sheathing Project with Ben last summer. So we were up here for six months. I'm Ben. I work at University of Glasgow in education and research, mainly around climate change and teaching sustainability. Worked at the project last summer with Rosanna for six months. Can you tell us a bit about this event, why you wanted to organise it? Where did the idea come from? It was a bit of a joke at the time, but we wanted to do something for Beltane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was desperate to walk some cows through the smoke. That obviously didn't materialise. The event was a one-and-a-half-day event on land use, biodiversity and well-being. And we had workshops, we had a panel discussion on rural depopulation... And we had a walk up to the Sheeling site and... As well. It was sort of, as well, a bit of a networking opportunity for yeah, young people working in those sort of thematic areas to come together and, and meet others because, yeah, as we've kind of found out, those opportunities are rare. But yeah, it was a mixture of workshops, talks, activities and, yeah, also to, to introduce people to the Sheeling project as well. Yeah, we're trying to do a bit more engagement around the project. So I was doing some work for Cedar Land last summer, putting together a bank of resources on land use. And I think when I was doing that, I was really thinking about how engaged a lot of young people are, but maybe that there wasn't a way for them all to come together and talk about all the exciting things that were happening. Even just to have a Kaylee, it, it's kind of rare, and there's not really any sort of celebrations for Beltane. So just, yeah, those are the main reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think it was maybe a bit sobering to hear so many people say, like, there's no chance to meet anyone and it's nice to meet like-minded people and that's a real that's a real shame. I think as well, like, part of the project is about living with the land and trying to understand mm. the importance of not excluding humans and communities from land and farming's, farming was a big part of the shielding system. So I think it's trying to make those connections for people and trying to kind of bring those conversations together um, and then also thinking about the kind of wider debates around land reform and land ownership in Scotland and I think 
that was probably the overarching theme, but we kind of know how emotive and kind of polarizing that can be. So I think we wanted to kind of break that down into smaller chunks and we kind of saw that, yeah, the land reform, land ownership issue kind of ran through every conversation, mm. I guess. Yeah, and it was nice because we had Ariane Burgess here and I think it was important for her to, I mean, I'm sure she is aware of this desire that young people have to live rurally and also to engage in food production and, yeah, different ways of using the land and sharing sharing land and maybe going back to more traditional practices. How do you feel this weekend has gone? How are you? I know you're tired, but apart from that, how are you feeling? I feel really, really happy. I feel really proud of us. And it was just lovely to see everyone. It was really special. Yeah, I'm really, really happy we did it. I feel quite emotional, actually, I think, to see so many young people engaged in an issue. And I think it was great that we didn't have, like, the same opinions on everything. There was debate, although it's maybe a bit more nuanced than, than it, it can be portrayed. And I think it was just so great to have so many people here in a rural space and kind of coming together and really engaging in what are really kind of real and live issues, um, especially around here. But then also just great to have a sort of a social time and a celebration afterwards with the Kaylee. And it's great seeing like 50 folks sit around a fire and singing wagon have, wheel. having a blether, yeah, singing and dancing. So. <laughs> yeah. What would you say are your main takeaways from this weekend? And it might be a piece of information or a conclusion you've come to or something you're really excited to do now or, I don't know, yeah, conversation that you had. Anything that, that sort of sticks out? I think we need to have more Kayleys <laughs> <laughs> happening everywhere, but especially in rural places. And I think, yeah, the main thing that came out was the opportunity to meet other young people that doesn't have to be around a bonfire, around a keli or involving alcohol or food, it can just be a space to come and meet people and I think we really struggle, that's probably not just a rural thing, that's you know, the kind of erasure of public spaces and stuff, and as well this thing around community and, and how important it is and how difficult it can be living somewhere where there isn't that sense of community mm. I think, as well um, I think we talked about community of interests and community of place and Maybe it's like to all the people listening that you should get people together either around an interest or where you live. And yeah, like Ben said, just it doesn't have to be something fancy. It just is nice to bring people together and to chat and have a good time. I think as well, uh, another sort of key takeaway for me is a feeling of hope. I think it was real um, serious, important issues like the biodiversity crisis, like the lack of housing in rural areas, like depopulation an underinvestment in these places. But I think what emerged towards the end of each day was this kind of sense of hope and the, the sort of recognition that there are solutions out there. And a lot of those solutions are land-based and a lot of them are related to food as well. But yeah, I think there was a lot of positive energy alongside the kind of admission that things are quite difficult at the moment. Hi, I'm Molly Saunders from Trees for Life. Hi, I'm Helen Woolston. I also work for Trees for Life, but I'm also a freelance creative with Studio Compost. 
I've known about the Shieling project for quite a while and I know they do really important work here, connecting people to the land and to their local environment. And so anything that goes on here, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear about and um, interested to join in. And yeah, just getting together with like-minded people, also people in a similar generation to me who share similar issues, similar experiences on living in rural places and to have a place where we can come together and discuss our problems, our issues, the things we want to change, the like positive ideas uh, was really appealing and it was really uplifting to have this space to share with people. I think it's massively important to have gatherings because um, it's only at gatherings where you're face-to-face with people and you connect with people on a deeper level that you begin to realise the, the absolute depth of power I think quite a a big theme of this weekend has been talking about how events as a whole hold more sustenance than than the individual components. And I think that just truly represents that. Um, And I think that having a gathering of people that are not only like-minded but within a similar generation allows you to feel like you belong and feel like you actually are doing something in the world and and it allows you to, to be a part of the bigger picture but also feel safe. What's been really lovely for me is just the general atmosphere of acceptance that you get from everyone and kind of like unspoken, smiley acceptance that I feel from everyone. We we haven't had the chance maybe to get to know everyone here really well, but we know we're all here for a similar cause and you can just feel that. In, there's like a buzz of energy and a kind of a really welcoming feeling, which I think is really important in order to create a safe space where we can talk about our issues and what we want to change. There was a, an experience that we had um, on Saturday night um, where we had been having a kind of traditional Kaylee where people were singing and sharing stories around a campfire. Um, and there was a moment quite late in the evening where the singing stopped just for a moment. And I think for about a solid 10 minutes, we all just sat together and just stared into the fire and that kind of sounds quite terrifying but it was just the the peaceful silence of a group of people that had connected together and the power that it held was yeah just absolutely resonated with me natasha pencil is the founder and guest editor of the black farmers market which happened for the first time in October 2022 in Brixton, London. She works in philanthropy and is a carer and activist. She tells us about how the Black Farmers Market is first and foremost an opportunity to platform growers from the black community. So it was a response to the fact that a lot of growers felt like, you know, if they had produce that they wanted to sell, They struggled to find spaces that they could do that in. I was talking to people who were using car boot cells, who were selling um, kind of their food below its worth. Spaces that weren't, that that aren't set up for selling, you know, fresh pesticide-free food and vegetables and herbs. You want to have a space that's, that's catering to that. And what we found myself because I have a condiments business, so I, I make sauces. Um, is that you have these gatekeepers, literally a handful of companies that own and run farmers markets, you know, within the M25. And 
you then find the same farmers, the same traders, the same brands and businesses across these various markets every weekend and in the weekdays. And that cause, you know, that 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 leads to a shutout of new people, um, especially from our communities. I think for me as well, taking over Brixton Station Road to do it was about taking up space there as well. Um, you've got the Black Cultural Archives down the road. You've got so much history in Brixton for the Black community, for that Windrush community. And it's a space that we're losing to gentrification, um, amongst other things. And so it felt really important to take up that space. It's somewhere that I used to go shopping with my grandma, um, with her trolley. And, you know, you don't, I don't really, I didn't feel like I saw that anymore. I was starting to not see the grandmas with their trolleys in Brixton Market anymore. And what we did last year with our pilot last October was we filled that street. And there were so many people that kind of came up to us, um, came up to our researchers even and was like, yeah, I haven't seen Brixton look like this since the 90s. I had councillors from the Lambeth Council saying the same, like, we need to bring back more of this. Like, I had people from the community saying they never thought, you know, farmers market and black people were something that come, that went together. So we want to, you know, we want to break that stigma. We want to break down that barriers. At the end of the day, a lot of the food that we eat that is on our tables comes from, you know, the global south, comes from being grown by communities of colour. And yet we are so separated from that, from our means of production, from our growing, from having our hands in the soil. And that's another side of it as well. It's about um, giving platform to community growing projects because essentially, I mean, we don't have that many black farmers and growers across the UK yet. So what we want to do is kind of shine a light on that and say, yeah, where are we? Where are we outside of the cities and the towns? Where are we when it comes to farming? Why is it that there isn't so many of us in that space? How do we change that? What are the barriers? What are the obstacles? I went to something not too long ago. They were pulling on this study that they did um, with farming communities and um, the effects of, I guess, rural isolation and poverty and mental health and how COVID had a really detrimental effect on communities and that being something that wasn't talk, spoken about. And then I just felt like, and still though, the intersection of, you know, race and how all of those factors also affect affects people of colour in rural communities is something that still wasn't being spoken about in that space as well. So how do we, we bring that, you know, to the forefront as we you know, know, and I'm sure everybody who's probably listening to this podcast knows the environmental, agricultural, horticultural sector is still the whitest in the country. So, you know, there's a lot of apprehension and I understand it from the growing community. There's a lot of people being reached out to, um, especially, you know, since Black Black Lives Matter, you know, okay, yeah, we want to get, you know, black growers or black community growing projects or, yeah, we want to engage with this community and we want to show we're doing this and that. And then somewhere along the lines, it kind of stopping or, you know, the promise of we're going to do this and that for you not being fulfilled. And so those interactions feeling really extractive. And I know when I first kind of came up with the idea and went around going, this is what I want to do, do a black farmer's market. There was a lot of who were you? We don't know you. You're an outsider. And we've been promised the world before and not delivered to. So it was a big piece for me to make sure that I made 
you know, make that the most busiest, buzziest, get as many people down and show that this is something that we can do when we all put our heads together. Um, there was a lot of, I think, apprehension about, you know, are we ready for markets? We don't sell. This is not something that we do. So although, you know, in the day, we're in one of the most expensive places in the world. So it's very hard to operate in this space without money coming in. It's not something that comes natural to some people who are more, you know, about kind of just having your hands in the ground rather than how do we create these streams of income. But community wealth building is something that I'm also very passionate about. Investing in the next generation as much as possible in many different ways. And, you know, that doesn't always have to mean, yeah, you come in and bring in something and selling it, but you're somewhere where people can find you. So what else do you have? Do you have knowledge that you can sell? Is it workshops that you want to promote? Is it I know, a foraging group or a supper club? It could be, um, you know, trying to get people down to your land so that you can get them volunteering. There's so much. It was about, you know, trying to get as many feet on the ground as possible and getting people down there so that, you know, we can see what we could, what we what what we're capable of doing, because um, I feel and and this is not even just coming from like, oh, I think I feel, but this is from experience. You know, so many people have really great ideas. So many people or even more people have similar or the same ideas. And actually, if we came together and combined our ideas it could be something so much stronger and what unfortunately happens is that when people kind of get in the oh well I want to do this and I want my name to be on it and I want it to be about me and it was really important for me to make not make it a me thing and to make it a we thing as much as humanly possible that's why you know coming on here is also a big thing for me because I'm not looking for people to come and jump on my thing I want it I want people to jump on and and make this thing a part of their thing so it's our thing and I want this to be, yeah, about community and us coming together and pushing what we're doing rather than it being pushing what I'm doing. Yeah, we are looking for traders. We're looking for growers. So, you know, if you are someone that is in that space, if you're a grower, if you're a food producer, if you're a baker, if you're a cheese maker, like there's so many spaces as well that we still are trying to tap down black beekeepers, you know, just people that are doing their best to to get out there and occupy that space. So please, yeah, do get in touch. We've got, I'm pretty sure our application form is on the website as well. Um, if you DM us on social media, we'll send information out to you. We're happy to have a chat as well. Yeah, we're out here. Come find us, please. If it's not about coming down and trading, just come down and enjoy the day. We will definitely have the DJ back out. So there's always going to be a good vibe on the street on the day. We want to have more activities. We want to have a messy kitchen and bringing back the face painter. So we've got something for the kids to come down and enjoy as well. You can learn about foraging. You can learn about permaculture. We want to expand on kind of the knowledge sharing aspect of the market as well. Um, oh, and I completely nearly missed it. Gosh. So um, one thing that we've done as well, we've worked really hard and scrolled away. I say we are me <laughs> to bring in funding. Um, and so we've got a small grants program because one thing that I noticed when talking to people was, you know, we've not sold before. I don't have a card reader. Um, I don't know how to set up my table. I don't have a barrier, a, a barrier, a banner, you know, to advertise my business. I don't have business cards or leaflets. So 
um, there's two things. One thing is working with the council. So we're going to be putting on two virtual and one face-to-face workshop um, to onboard people. So one thing as well, that's a barrier to entry for a lot of people that want to kind of go to markets and sell is working with environmental health and making sure that, you know, you're all ticked off and signed off to sell to the public safely and legally. We've got environmental health that are willing to come down to each of those workshops and talk to everybody, get them signed up. So you're working with them rather than trying to fill in really complicated paperwork by your by yourself we are also going to have them come and show us how you know ways you can visually merchandise your stock so you know you're doing the best to make it look good and you've got a store that you feel proud of and then the other side is um, the funding for our small grants program so we want to give grants of 250 pounds they are bits of money that you can use if you want to you know spend it on a seedbed or if you want to spend it on business cards and leaflets or on a banner or even transport if you're coming in from a, a a journey in if that pays for you know you hiring transport or taking um cabs or whatever you know we want to be able to support our growers as much as possible to get there so we really sat down and we thought about all the different things that people have said to us we need space we try to create space we want it to be fun we try to create something that's fun we want something for all age groups we're trying to think about how we can bring in every age group and every demographic and you know these are also you know logistically and practically issues for us okay well then if we can give you a little top up and a little money so that you can buy that card reader before the event work out how to use it you know how do we get you onboarded? Because, and this is another thing as well, if you are a part of the market and you're onboarded with Lambeth Council, there's nothing stopping you from coming back as a trader at their markets throughout the rest of the year as well. You're on their books. You know, we're not trying to do little one-off, oh, that was nice and then it's forgotten. We were trying to create legacy, longevity and sustainability here. The next Black Farmers Market is happening on Sunday the 10th of September and Sunday the 8th of October. Find more on their website, which is www.bfmarket.co.uk or follow on Instagram at Black Farmers UK. Last month, we heard from one of the participants of the Pasture for Life mentoring program. They invite farmers who are interested in nature-friendly or regenerative farming practices to be paired with a more experienced nature-friendly or regenerative farmer who can then guide them on their learning journey. This month, we're lucky enough to hear from another of the participants in this program. Tim Jury is 69 years old, and in contrast to Clementine, who we heard from last time, he's been farming his whole life. Tim farmed conventionally in East Sussex for 40 years, and he had, well, quite frankly, had enough. He was ready to leave farming behind. But then, everything changed. And as he learned about the concepts behind regenerative farming, that set him on a whole new track. About three years ago, I wanted to wind down the whole operation and uh, was talking to various people about conservation projects that I might get involved in. And it became apparent quite quickly that the best option I had was to continue to keep livestock because livestock are the basis of many sort of increases and improvements in biodiversity really they are central to to doing uh, the good work that we wanted to do well without 
appearing to sort of uh, overawe anybody who's considering regenerative agriculture. There's no doubt, doubt that it is a complete um, game changer, really, in terms of style of farming and what you're trying to achieve from a, an environmental point of view. I felt I needed the sort of um, support of an experienced grazer who had already made some of the mistakes, should I say, and um, was able to advise and be on hand, end of a phone visit, obviously, this sort of thing. But just to steer me on the path in the initial couple of years, or well, actually the mentor scheme lasts just 12 months, but nonetheless, so that uh, I just had some a sounding board, really, to, to develop, because every farm is going to need a slightly different approach, even though the basis of what you're, how you're grazing, because making it fairly clear that, that uh, mob grazing generally is, is the central part of the pasture for life movement, if you like. At least that's what I think is correct to say. But so, you know, it is a different, it's a different concept and it's sometimes almost counterintuitive. You sometimes think, oh, should we really be doing this? This, this is not like keeping livestock out all winter. You know, sometimes I've looked at the fields and think, oh dear, this is a bit. Uh, but uh, you gradually learn to have more confidence through having a mentor there to, to sound these problems and issues that doubts that you might have. We've gone through a very difficult winter and it's been both cold and wet. And that's put increased pressure on the availability of cover and also the way that you utilize this cover because I had intended to keep the cattle out all through the winter they have actually had to spend about a month indoors but that's all so I guess deciding when to bring livestock in was one issue I wanted to, to discuss but also how to supplement because I needed to biograze as well that's to say using hay rolled out to feed them and there were one or two tips about how to do that without putting too much impact on the ground. It is slightly worrying to see animals that are making an impression on the top surface of the soil. And you think, gosh, this is not, this is not what I was taught to do conventionally. But the one thing that I don't, I could have understood myself, but I didn't until it was explained to me, these cattle are only going to be on that ground for 24 hours max before they move on. And that is a fundamental difference between what we're doing and what conventional grazers might do if they just decide to leave the livestock out all winter. And it's it's been quite an eye-opener to, to see the regeneration and the um, recovery of these paddocks that were supposedly quite severely hit but now, you know, you see new growth coming through and they're not as, they have recovered. And this, of course, comes back to the, the real mainstay of the whole process is, is this long recovery that you're giving the soil. And that's what it's all about. I could have thrown the towel in once or twice throughout this winter easily and just brought in a lot more feed, brought the cattle in and just decided that this winter wasn't going to work. But you know, persevering and, you know, it, it paid off to have that support that made me realise that, yes, there are bound to be one or two days when you make a mistake, you know, 
but a lot of it is just the weather you couldn't help very heavy rainfall overnight you come in the morning and you think oh my goodness <laughs> but you move them on quickly and you know hopefully they'll recover i think the beauty of the scheme is that we can overcome the distances involved because obviously neighbors are the uh, not likely to be doing the same thing as you yet you know we hope that will grow but um they're more likely to look over the gate and think, well, oh, what a complete mess you're making of it. <laughs> Whenever one is feeling, oh gosh, you know, things might be going wrong, could be better, then um, you, you just have the, the confidence to continue because the, the experience that others have um, just, just comes through and um, they may be even... I think I think a lot of the pro- issues with confidence is is knowing that the people who are helping you, the, the mentor that's helping you, has made those same mistakes. That is fallible, as it were. By being a mentee, I've had the confidence to see out a very difficult winter, only having the cattle in for a month, which has saved quite a lot of expense in extra feed and and bedding and the like. So that's. Maybe indirectly, but nonetheless, it's all key and part of the benefit that I've had. And that's, I think, after this winter, which has been the period of time that I have been a mentee in the main, that would have to stand out as being the most, the biggest gain that I've had. You know, obviously, building a bit of friendship as well with somebody else that I didn't have met before. And uh, yeah, knowing a bit about his you know, history and the like and yeah it's all all good stuff isn't it learning more from other people and uh, yeah definitely the standard wintering period for my sucklers 20 years ago was uh, as, as near as damn it six months in and six months out and so having had a month in only although I have been bale grazing outside so the feed probably has been reduced by half but then again I haven't made expensive silage I bought in hay in the main um but the bedding cost saving is has been quite uh, substantial maybe I should sit down and work it out but I would have said several thousand for sure on only a small herd like I've got you know with 24 cows and um, at the moment only about 12 followers but when it goes up in numbers then that will be even more and of course, the health benefits. I, I mean, it's difficult over. I mean, we've been doing this now for probably eighteen months, if or so. We've just gone through our second winter, but I can already see that ongoing veterinary costs certainly don't look like being as high. I'd like to think anyway, but that's something I probably ought to keep aside a little bit because you know you you need these things go in cycles, and you may, maybe need five years of data to actually say yes, I am. Um, uh, costs in that way have gone down. You've only got to look at the uh, the scale of, of, of increased numbers in the pasture for life membership to see how much interest there is in this whole style of grazing and the regenerative movement generally. So to be part of that is is really, yeah, really great. I've sort of touched on. The other benefits that uh, over and beyond the, the financial side of things, and uh, it's a more enjoyable everyday life, if you like. I mean, we are starting carving now, which still 
fills me with a little bit of dread because I've got to tag these calves and, you know, look after things and I'm not getting any younger type thing. But once that's out of the way, I mean, it's it, it's just a really easy, well, not easy, but it's, it's sort of laid back and uh, style of farming, if you like, once you've got your infrastructure started out. But it's just seeing, I think, uh, about the the different forms of uh, wildlife coming back and uh, what you're doing as part of the whole environment rather than sort of fighting it, as it were, and treating the things that nature throws at you as obstacles rather than well, they're just, just something I go along with. You know, they're just my partners, as it were. Yeah. Join the PFL and get yourself a mentor and uh, give it a go, but but certainly talk to others that are doing it. I wouldn't think there's one single member of the PFL that wouldn't discuss their experiences and uh, give their encouragement to people to just try to unshackle these awful burdens that we have financially that affect far more than your bank balance i'm sure they're affecting lots of people's mental health and the like and i just think you can really liberate yourself a lot by giving this a, a consideration and uh, and of course we all know the lot knock-on benefits of the higher superior food that we're producing and and helping our consumers in, in a, a way as well yeah We're very grateful to those of you that support us and allow us to bring you these stories every month. Even the smallest contribution makes a big difference to us. So if you'd like to become a supporter, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Farmerama. As ever, a big thank you to the rest of the team, Olivia Oldham, Fran Bailey, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Lucy Fisher. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett. Toodaloo.